Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Today, I have Paul Sandeep with us on Audio Gyan. Paul is an international award-winning product designer, alumni of NID. electrical engineer and a cartoonist he has designed over 300 plus iconic everyday objects in 121 product categories for clients across 14 countries he is a winner of red dot award twice and numerous international awards in 2004 he created the spherical bulb holder an angular multiplug for gm modular which became the most iconic best seller designs in india and have now become standards in the electrical industry This was his really small introduction of a person who likes to call himself as a designer of everyday objects. Uh, for more details, you can visit to paulstudio dot in. That's p a u l studio dot in. Uh, thanks, Paul, for giving us your time and welcome to Audio Gang. Thanks, Kedar, uh, for the honor of having me on your uh, wonderful podcast. I'm really thrilled and excited to talk to you. So uh, we'll be talking about. Uh, Ob- everyday objects and probably uh, also refer to don norman who's considered whose book is there on design of everyday objects but uh, i'll i'll start off with uh, uh, another great designer massimo vignelli who quoted uh, that if you can design one thing you can design everything so if we consider this uh, as a true statement by one of the legends uh, i was very curious to understand that since you cover a lot of products uh is there uh, are are there chances of you falling short while going deep into designing a product so well, that's a very interesting question kid uh but i look at it in a different perspective when you say uh you know uh, if one can design one thing uh, you can design everything it's actually not the width we're talking about it's actually enriching your experience of design Yeah, so I don't look at it from expand expansion because uh, when you talk about multiple uh, aspects of a process, right? Then you could say that okay, you might lose out on the uh, depth. But I just design. I do not look at any other aspect apart from the design of it. Like I'm not selling my own product. I'm not looking at uh, you know other aspects of the project. I'm purely focusing on the design aspect of a product, right? and to enrich my experience i would rather design a plethora of varied objects to increase my uh, knowledge base in terms of production in terms of manufacturing capabilities and uh, new materials and processes so design is actually a, pro- a creative process and if i could design a pen uh, the process of designing a writing instrument for me is a very similar while i'm designing uh, maybe a home appliance or a cooler or a ceiling fan or any other object so to me it's not the width it's actually the depth which i gather by the experience of designing varied objects okay but uh, uh, so when you're actually working on a singular product uh, and not multiple then you can actually go into the depths of it right but when you're uh, like working on different products uh, don't you think that uh the specialization factor uh is uh, hampered to a certain extent on the contrary kedar 
companies hire me because I'm a generalist and not a specialist. I'll, I'll share an example. You know, what happens is that when companies approach me, they're always stuck with an idea uh, because they've been working on it again and again for many years. So they do not get a fresh perspective. When you, when you go much deeper into the processes and do's and don'ts in a project, then it's actually very restrictive. And having a very fresh perspective is very important while dealing with newer challenges. So I, I always uh, appreciate when I get a project which I haven't done before. I, I perform the best when I haven't done it before because that's when I can ask silly questions. I'm allowed to ask silly questions because I'm a generalist, right? So the learning process, the learning process is such that it allows me to question the obvious which may seem very obvious to them, but they sometimes you know, come back to me, though, oh, why didn't we think of it? They're, of course, why didn't you think of it? Because you, you, what happens is when we design objects, we tend to forget uh, the basics of it. We, we get too much critical into uh, the processes and the limitations of it. So uh, from that perspective, I feel always if you're doing it for the first time, you'll have a very fresh approach. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, I think uh, uh, I'll have more clarity when we reach our last question, which I have uh, especially kept to understand what, like how uh, probably with a case study that how we can, uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, so you have been, yeah, you have been referred as uh, industrial sculptor in a lot of places. Uh, I've been reading some uh, posts about you. So what is it like? Uh, how is an industrial sculptor different from an industrial designer? I mean, what is the line that separates these two? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say it's actually separating. It's uh, it's one facet of an industrial designer, which is the which is the artistic bent of the designer is actually the, uh, uh, it's, I think it's not a differentiating factor. It's basically one, another facet which adds on uh, as an expression of a designer. Like, for example, uh, you know, when we're talking about industrial design, we start with understanding the need and then we try to resolve those uh, opportunity areas through our you know, creative ideas and you build on it, right? But when, I'm ta- when people refer to me as an industrial sculptor, they probably are looking at the form factor which I derive at in my projects. Because those forms are very sculptural. Probably that's why they refer to me as an industrial sculptor. But for me, being an industrial sculptor is actually the process of uh, removing the superfluous aspects of any product and trying to dig deep into the core of its essence. In that perspective, I see myself as a sculptor who, you know, chisels out a statue from a block of stone, right? To bring out the inner beauty of the product. So that's probably I, how I look at it uh, when I'm referred to as an industrial sculptor. So that's the main aspect when an when uh, industrial sculptor is uh, termed as, right? Or are there any more uh, things to be added uh, in terms of your skill set when you're working on an industrial product? See, there's always this dilemma that, you know, the form follows function or the function uh, should evoke the form. So there's, there's always been a great debate on this. But uh, I think every project demands a unique approach. And certain projects uh, which uh, I've uh, encountered in my career span till date, 
required me to evolve a form factor which will define the functionality. For example, the clothesline text, the, the, the yellow clip, which won the red dot actually, uh, the idea was, can we create something uh, monolithic? Can we create something which doesn't have multiple parts, yet look like a complete product and an interesting product? So the form factor, how we define, uh, was def- was actually uh, getting more closer when we started looking at the finer nuances of the form which would drive the function rather than the other way around. Cool. So uh, in the same context, so what's your process of uh, like defining your style? Because uh, you obviously will be working under constraints and also adding your own constraints like form and function and stuff like that. So how do you ensure that uh, like the product which you design is, is actually uh, defining your style? Okay. That's another right. Uh, I'll, I'll, like if if yeah, if I have to elaborate on the question a much uh, a bit more, is that uh, there are paintings right, which uh, which people identify uh, through their strokes or through their uh, uh, medium in which it is made, and then it makes a statement that yes, this is designed by M. F. Hussein or something like that. So, like, since you're, so how do how does that happen in your context? See, as I, as I always say, that I'm a designer of everyday objects. And why I emphasize on the fact of everyday objects is, is because these are the objects which go unnoticed, right? And their basic function is actually to help your life make easy, right? So from my, my style of design is giving a solution which people would come back and say, wow, and why didn't I think of it? It's not an aesthetic statement which I'm making through my designs. That's why you wouldn't find a thread of aesthetics which would be common in my designs, but you would find a thread of that wowness, which is that why didn't I think of it? Or questioning the obvious thing. That is what would define my product design. I'll give an example. Like I was doing a project at LG Electronics, and the project was actually to design a LCD TV for the Indian market. Now tell me, how do you how do you make a product Indian, which is so global? A, a television is a global product, right? It doesn't actually define any context, right? So if you ask to design an Indian version of an LED, how would you approach it? You know, so probably you would do a, a, a graphic treatment to it, maybe some prints and patterns or some color palette, trying to you know uh, focus on the Indianness of it. But that's not that's not my way of working. What, what I did in that project was that I feel that the utility should be Indian, not the aesthetics, right? Because a utility is what defines a culture. The way we look at things, the way we expect things to work and support us in our daily life is what defines or differentiates us as Indians from any other, any other person, right? It's not the aesthetics. So what we did, we, we did a pan-India uh, survey. We visited plenty of homes. And, uh, India, and we understood what uh, Indian television usage was. Right, a product is always defined by the context of its of its use. So what we came across was very interesting. See, with the advent of this flat screen television, uh, LCD and LEDs, what happened was that you would take it up to a wall, 
and not keep it on the furniture, right? Because it became a thing of pride that, okay, you want a TV which goes on the wall. So now what was happening is that when you took it on the wall, where would you keep your DTH box? Because when you had a CRT TV, you would keep the DTH box or the other peripherals on the furniture below it. So now you didn't have any space. So people started doing jugad. You know, what we call in India, the jugad is like finding means and methods to solve a problem at a local local solution. So uh, we found you know, people using glass shelves beneath the television to keep their remotes and DTH boxes and all sorts of various kind of arrangements like uh, temporary solutions. Another aspect which we were also looking at was that the Indian market is very, very price sensitive. And in that respect, when you are mounting a television on the wall, what happens to the stand? It's a complete waste because the, the, the product cost includes the cost of the stand, right? So the company has invested into the tooling of the product. Uh, the user has no use of it because the stand is irrelevant to him because he's wall mounting the television. That was the idea that can we convert the stand into a shelf so that, yeah, so you, so you could actually use that stand on the wall and make it a shelf and you could keep your DTH box. And this was launched by LG Electronics in 2013 and it was named as the Transform TV. Yeah, so that's, that's the Indian insight. That's what makes a television Indian because the way we use it, because nowhere else one would wall mount a 32-inch television on the wall. It's only for the larger television which you go up on the wall, but in India, it's still a thing of pride. So you know, we kept that Indian sentiment alive through the product. We, we also made it cost-effective. Now the stand has a purpose, definitive purpose. So the cost is justified. And all of it was at the same price level. So you have a new USP, new selling point, calling it the Indian USP at the same price point. I think that is what is, uh, I would say, my way of approaching any project. Uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm really, yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, na- like coming, I think like that naturally flows into flows into my next question. Like once you start selling the designer and not the design, Uh, object becomes expensive. This is uh, one of your lines in one of your interviews. So can you explain what do you mean by that? See, uh, I've come across the situation many times when, you know, uh, uh, one is wanting to engage a designer in a project. They always have this feeling that a designer would actually increase the cost of the product. The product would become expensive because in India still the, the, uh, uh, I would say, the perception of a designer is that, okay, He's a fashion designer or maybe he's a interior designer. So anything which the end consumer has to pay more for is termed as a designer product. So a designer product has to be expensive, will be expensive, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, other domains also, designer shirt or designer uh, cars. Yeah. Exactly. So whenever you're talking about yeah, a designer thing, means that you have to pay more for it. right? But my approach here is to kill that elitism in design. You know, I want to make everyday objects well-designed because I feel that everybody has a right to good design and that is possible when you make the designer anonymous and the product the hero. So that is what my effort has always been uh, to to create a product which people would associate with and would want to you know uh, own it. It's not because so-and-so has designed that's why I would want it but because the product is so good that I would want it. Yeah, there's also a plus side to it because then uh, things are not sold uh, at the name value, like at the face value of it. Of course, 
only the merit of the product would define the success of the product. No, I think this is what I, I, I wanted to emphasize. So that uh, I've always believed in making the product the hero. You know, uh, where you don't have to advertise about the product because the product is so good in any way that you would want to use it. So focus your energies and your. I will. Say, I always tell my clients that focus all our you know energies towards creating a good product. Then we will not have to push it in the market. We'll be able to create a pull. See, all the techniques of uh, marketing and advertising are required when you really have a mediocre product. Otherwise, you wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't have to push it, right? If you create a wonderful product, you can create a pull. People would come chasing you after you to uh, you know to own that product. That's very noble of you, actually, to to do this kind of a stunt. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll slightly uh, take a tour here, different, which is on your work. Uh, so your design of a spherical bulb holder uh, has become a standard in the electrical product industry. Uh, so can you tell our listeners how did the product uh, you made like bring so much impact in the electrical products manufacturing industry overall? Well, uh, this was a very interesting situation where you know uh, I was uh, engaged by uh, GM Modular, a company based out of Mumbai, and uh, they were venturing out into the electrical product space. My role was actually to uh, identify these mundane objects and create some uniqueness into them you know how i started on the project was very interesting i, I look i looked at the most mundane object in the electrical trade which was the bulb holder and the bulb holder had been same the way it was designed 100 years back everything around it had changed except the product itself so what i felt was that when you're doing up your interiors all that is fine but when you're trying to plug in a bulb you still have that old industrial, you know, technical-looking bulb holder with all those screw holes and you know all those engineering details visible. The idea was very, very simple. Actually, the idea was just to the intent was to cover up those holes and make it look beautiful aesthetically. So now the challenge was this product, which was a standard in the industry for over a century old. Uh, you can understand how cost-effective it might have gone over those years. My idea of adding another shell around it to hide the holes was an expensive proposition. It was actually increasing the price of the product. But then I could manage to convince the director of GM Modular that even though we are increasing the price of the product, the value, the perceived value of the product is going up many folds. This could create a new category of a product. And uh, I think he bought the point and I, I really appreciate that he, he took that risk of bringing out a slightly more expensive product, which was a very, very mundane object. Like you don't look at a bulb holder while you're buying it, right? You just ask for it and you get it. Or sometimes even you don't buy it. Your electrician buys it. So now when we talk about the electrician part, this was again a very interesting uh, aspect to that design which actually propagated the design because most of the electricians started preferring this design because their their output started looking like people would say, oh, you've done a neat job. You've got, a, got us a good bulb holder. Yeah. So so the, the, what happened was that uh, since this is such a mundane product and you will not buy it and mostly the electricians would go and buy it. So they started recommending this product. And over the period of 
12, 13 years now because I had designed this in 2004. This bulb holder has now replaced the regular bulb holder completely. And uh, this has done really, really good business for the not only the brand, but uh, now it has become a standard so that, you know, uh, every manufacturing company who has to have a bulb holder now has this spherical bulb holder version of it. It's very exciting to see how well it was appreciated by the entire trade. Because they really felt that this design had added value to a product which was completely overlooked over, over centuries. And uh, I think that's a great satisfaction for me as a designer as well, that I could create something which really uh, you know, could change the, the direction or make a small dent in the way people started looking at electrical accessories. And you know, uh, then onwards, people actually started looking at can we do a real good design of a flex box or a spike guard? Because these were objects, which were utility objects, right? No one had ever thought that these should be well-designed too. So that the entire industry now is design-driven. The electrical trade, which wasn't design-driven at all, which was only purely function-driven, is now design-driven. If you see the exhibitions which uh, are held every year, the ASTEC, uh, the Electrama, you'll find companies boasting, the, talking about their design, the aesthetics of such mundane objects. I think that's a phenomenal change uh, uh, which, has, which has happened. And a lot of designers are also looking up to this uh, uh, industry now that, okay, we could also bring change in the industry. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us some of the challenges uh, other than, uh, like, like we're working on this spherical bulb, other than the price point? See, I think in any project, the, the major challenge is to convince your client to believe uh, when you're doing something new to invest. I think getting the funding for the project is, is the most critical aspect of it. See, because everything else uh, gets sorted out. If there's a will, there's a way. And you have to tap that will of the uh, investor. In, in terms of like lowering down the plastic quality or uh, making it like a single body unit, any any of those things uh, you can mention about? No, see, uh, as I said, the initial product cost was higher than the regular product. So this was a very unique case study because mostly, uh, you know, no one would accept a design solution which is going to increase up the production cost. So this, that is the uniqueness of this project, that the perceived value was so high that people still invested in the uh, product, which was slightly expensive than the regular ones. The price, the price and the positioning of the product was the most challenging thing and you know uh, uh, it wasn't easy to convince because I had made several prototypes uh, because you know once you show a product a, a, a 3D rendering or a your vision uh, on a flat screen it doesn't help you have to actually show how it works and the ease of use uh, it's so easy to mount and dismount this product so all those aspects but I don't see them as a challenge as the greatest challenge was to convince to give birth to this product idea. So yeah, I would like to conclude with one last question, which is uh, since you have like made more than 300 uh, of everyday objects uh, in like 121 categories. So like, how do you generally identify an opportunity for invention in design? Uh, like uh, invention, like not exactly invention, but how do you find that opportunity? Yes, that this 
particular sector or this particular line of products uh, need design intervention and then uh, then uh, design them so what's the process like now this again is a very interesting process because uh, 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 you know i'm a cartoonist i before i came into design as a profession and even before i did my engineering i um, was a cartoonist professional cartoonist and one thing i would like to share is that you know um, the modern observations of a cartoonist is what defines uh, the uniqueness the observational skills maybe there would be uh, 10 people sitting in a room but a cartoonist would observe the most critical and the most subtle uh, nuances and highlight them through his expression so for me probably i'm still trying to express my observations and the medium is through objects so when so everything around me is an inspiration and i always keep noticing you know okay if someone's opening the door and if having a problem so i would notice that i notice every little detail uh, in my everyday life and uh, that is what uh, you know uh, allows me uh, to gather opportunities of design intervention like i'll give you another example of such a uh, observation which turned into a very very successful product we all use these regular uh, uh, multi plugs right those multi plug pins three pin plugs which uh, you plug into a socket and you have those two pins on the top two pin on the bottom and those three pin in the front right so so i'll cite an example of an observation here have these two pin plugs and after certain uh, times of usage these two pin plugs uh, tend to get loose right and with these regular multiplugs what happens is when you push the plug two pin plug on the underside of these multiplugs it tends to fall due to gravity so and it's a very small thing but then it's it's not a good feeling it's not a good thing to happen when you're plugged in and you're working and suddenly the uh, plug falls off and your light goes off it it's not a very pleasant feeling so now see how this is an opportunity so what i did was that i just made a slant angle of 40 degree of the bottom part of the multi plug so that you could plug and the uh, two pin would get automatically locked into it due to gravity due to the slope yeah and that gave birth to another product category which is the angular multi plug so this idea again stems from an a very simple observation so you just have to keep, i always say you know, don't look, don't just see look around you we tend to you know overlook things and we see many things but we need to look at them carefully and be observant i think that's the key to innovation for me at least <laughs> it's it's really inspirational to hear this uh cool i think uh, this is a good note to end this uh, obviously there are tons of things to be uh, spoken about in the industrial design space and i would like to really have you again on audio again where we can chat about something more uh and the new new products which you will be designing uh so all the best to you and uh, thanks once again for giving us your time so oh, thanks kedar it's been a wonderful uh, it was really pleasure talking to you and really look forward to more such interactions in the future thanks again kedar and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes savan stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram Stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com till then bye